0: Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We serve you. We are thankful for the opportunity to come as a body of believers and worship To give, to fellowship, to study. And so, Father, I pray as we open the truth of your words, you would speak very clearly to us. I pray, as we always pray, Lord, through the power of the Spirit, as He speaks to us, that we would be transformed more into the image of your Son Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter seventeen. Genesis chapter seventeen. Today we are continuing our study through the book of Genesis, sermon series we've entitled In the Beginning, and at this point in our study we've been spending a lot of time over the last several weeks with Abram. If you remember, or maybe you haven't been with us in a while, Abram has been called to the Lord, he's gone to Canaan, the promised land. The Lord has shown him numerous different times his power and his ability. He's promised him multiple times to make him into a great nation. Oftentimes, Abram has been walking by faith. And then oftentimes, we've seen him fail to trust the Lord. In fact, I was laying in bed last night, and I was reading ahead a little bit. I was just a few chapters ahead in the book of Genesis, and I know where we're going, but I just wanted to read it again. And as I was reading it, as I, was, I was talking to Amy, and I, and I literally, you know how you read sometimes, and I was, I was talking to Abraham kind of in my mind. And as I'm reading what he's doing, I, I literally in my brain said, Abraham, what are you doing I mean, so many times the Lord has shown him, Abraham, I'm going to do incredible things for you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your family. I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to make you into a great nation. Incredible things are going to happen through you. We've seen that time and time again. And then time and time again, we've seen that Abraham has failed to trust the Lord. As I thought through that last night, I thought, you know, that brings me comfort and conviction. It comforts me to know that a man of God like Abraham could still sin and the Lord could still use him. Because sometimes I feel like that, don't you? I'm comforted by the fact that even if I drop the ball, the Lord still loves me and still wants to use me. But I'm also convicted because as I read the story of Abraham and I think of my own life, I'm reminded I need to do better. Lord, I need to seek you more. I need to trust you more. I need to look to you for the answers of life. And so we're going to continue our study this morning in chapter 17. And we're going to do kind of what we did last week. I want to read through some of 17, make some comments about it, and spend the bulk of our time in chapter 18 this morning. We're going to read, beginning in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. Genesis 17, 1. When Abram was 99 years old, now just pause for a second, if you're taking notes, I want you to understand something. It's difficult for us because we're reading through this systematically, kind of chronologically, so we finish up chapter 16 last week, we immediately move into chapter 17, but if you were to go back and kind of study and understand, Abram is 99 years old, we're told a little farther than Genesis 17, that his son, Ishmael, who was born in chapter 16, is now 13 years old. Okay, so to understand from the end of chapter 16 to the beginning of chapter 17 is 13 years. That's a long time. So Abram, 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Now I believe, the scripture doesn't say this, but I believe this is the last time in the end of chapter 16 the Lord speaks. It's been 13 years now. 13 years before the Lord, before the, since the Lord has spoken directly to Abraham. So in the beginning of chapter 7, he comes to him again and says, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Now verse 2, I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Now if Abraham had not heard from the Lord in 13 years, you would expect his response to be one of worship. Look at verse 3. So Abraham or Abram fell face down. See that? And God said to him, "'As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful.'" I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. Verse 7. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Verse 8. The whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. Now let's stop there just for a minute because we see in these first few verses again a reminder of the promises of the Lord. A reminder to Abram that the Lord is faithful He's going to make him the father of multitudes of people. Kings will come from him. The specific land of Canaan is mentioned. His name is changed. It's a renewed promise. We've seen it time and time again where the Lord says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Now the remainder of the chapter is speaking of circumcision. And so I prayed and thought about what I wanted to preach through circumcision this morning. And I decided we're going to skip it, okay? Not because it's not important, not because it's not clear, and the Bible doesn't speak through it. So I want to summarize it, and then we're going to move to verse 18, chapter 18. Circumcision, very simply, is the physical requirement for Abraham and all the male descendants. God says, I've made this covenant with you through circumcision. Now, this is going to be your obedience. This is going to be the physical sign that we have a covenant Now, we'll talk more about this because we'll see this again in the book of Genesis. But I want to move past that now to chapter 18. And I want to focus on what's going to happen next. So we've got a reminder of the covenant, reminder of the promise, reminder of the strength, the physical requirement of Abraham and all the male descendants of the covenant between he and the Lord. Now, Genesis chapter 18, verse 1. So the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. He's just sitting there hanging out. It's hot. Verse 2, Abraham looked up and he saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and he bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought And then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Verse 5. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant, very well, they answered, do as you say. Verse 6. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seeds of the finest flour, knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf, gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set it before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. I want to stop there for a minute. I want to make a point. Number one, the presence of the Lord should always lead us to action. The presence of the Lord should always lead us to action. Now, we see three visitors that have arrived in chapter 18. And there's been some interesting debate over the years as to exactly who these three visitors are. And so I want to take just a minute, if we can, and and kind of answer the question of these three visitors before we move on to see exactly how Abraham responds to them. Now, there's some clues that are given. I don't have these on the screen, but if you've got your Bibles, I want you to notice a couple of verses that clue us into these three visitors. In fact, if you were to skip down to Genesis 18, verse 22... There's our first clue. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. See that in verse 22? So there's this sense that of these three people, two of them are referred to as men, and one of them is the Lord, because two of them are going to leave. Abraham's going to stand and continue to talk to the Lord. Now chapter 19, verse 1, the very first verse says that two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening. So I think based on these two passages of Scripture, we can say that these three men, two of them are angels and one of them is the Lord. Now there's been debate over the centuries as to whether or not the Lord is Jesus incarnate. God the Father incarnate, and the Bible doesn't speak to that, and so we can't say with certainty, but we know in some fashion the Lord, along with two angels, appears to Abraham. Now this is important because I think at the very beginning of the conversation, Abraham recognizes who these people are. I think he recognizes that he's speaking directly to the Lord because he tells us in verse 3 of chapter 18, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass by your servant. Now this is a phrase. If you're taking notes, you should make note of this. I have found favor in your eyes or in your sight. This is a phrase that's used in other parts of the Old Testament, always in reference to the Lord. So I believe Abraham sees these three men, I believe he knows early on in the conversation that he's speaking directly to the Lord. Now some of you guys remember several years ago there was a trend or a fad where people would wear the little bracelets and the little bracelets said WWJD. You remember the bracelets? What would Jesus do? You remember those bracelets? And it started as kind of a, a Christian thing where believers would wear the bracelet. And it really turned into just kind of a, a fad and almost a fashion statement. You remember? Because there were lots of people out there wearing the bracelets that probably weren't really considering what Jesus would do. It was just a fashionable thing. Allen Iverson wore one around. Do you guys remember that about Allen Iverson? I was a big fan at the time of the NBA and he wore a bracelet. And the point was we would, we would wear these bracelets... And we would look down at these bracelets and we would say in our lives, in every situation, what would Jesus do? And so it's supposed to be a reminder in your life to live your life for Christ. What would Jesus do if he were here? Now we have an instance in Scripture where Abraham was visited directly by the Lord. In fact, we know he appeared in bodily form. Now I want to say something kind of doctrinally here because I don't want to confuse any people at this very moment. But we would say as followers of Jesus Christ living in the New Testament or past the New Testament that as Christians the Holy Spirit always indwells within us. Okay, so we can make the argument that the Lord is with us at all times through the Holy Spirit. But here's the question I want to ponder just for a second. If the Lord physically came to live with you right now, what would it look like? Now just, just, just for a moment, just imagine... You pull in from lunch after church and you open your door and sitting at the table is Christ in the flesh. I just imagine if he said, I'm going to kind of hang out with you for the next few months, how our lives would look differently. One writer explained it like this. I think he hit the nail on the head. He said, every time you come home, he is there watching everything that takes place. Would you view it as a blessing or a burden? As Christians, we talk about having a personal relationship with God, but if the truth were known, many of us don't want it to be too personal. It's one thing to invite the Lord in for an occasional meal when the house is in order and the kids are on their best behavior, but having the Lord move in as a permanent resident and observer of all that goes on would be a bit too much. I think that's interesting. How would we respond if the Lord moved in? The hope is that we would be receptive and responsive to his presence. The truth of the matter is, I bet for so many of us it'd be something far different. Because if we base the past, if we base what that would look like on the past and the way that we live our lives oftentimes now, probably far too many of us would be too busy to speak to the Lord. Far too many of us would be uninterested in the things that he had to say. Far too many of us would be unaware that he was actually there. And so I want to draw some application from the way that Abraham responded Abraham is encountered by these three visitors. One of them is clearly the Lord. Abraham recognizes early in the process that this is clearly the Lord. And I want you to notice that the presence of the Lord moved Abraham to action. Now there are three things we see in these passages of Scripture that are kind of subpoints. Here's the first one. Abraham rushed to please the Lord. When's the last time you rushed to please the Lord? Notice with me in these verses, verse 2. Abraham looked. He saw three men standing by. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent. Bring that verse up for me. Bring verse 2 up for me, Brandy. The Bible says that when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance to his tent. Now move down to verse 6. So Abraham hurried into his tent... Quick, he said to Sarah, right? You see, that, see what's going on here now? Verse 7. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf, and he gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare, right? There, there's this sense of urgency in the life of Abraham. When Abraham comes into the presence of the Lord, he rushes to please him. Do we rush to please the Lord? Now, if you're like me and probably like everybody else on the planet at this very moment in history, we're all busy, aren't we? And we rush to do a lot of things. But if we were honest with ourselves, are we rushing to please the Lord? Or do we rush to do everything else and when we're done with all those things, we give him whatever's left over? See, when Abraham encountered the presence of the Lord, he rushed to please him. But notice what else he does. Abraham also had a willing heart. Look at verse 3 again. Let's look at how he responds. Bring that verse up again. If we're going to do 3, 4, and 5 there. So he said, he's speaking now to these men. If i found favor in your eyes, Lord, do not pass your servant by. And then he gives this list of things of, of what he wants to do. He's willing to do. Let me bring a little water. Then you can wash your feet. Then you, then you can rest under the tree. Verse 5, let me get you something to eat. Then you can be refreshed and then you can go your way. Abraham is interested in pleasing the Lord. Let let me bring you water. Let me me wash your feet. Let Let me help you rest. Let me give you something to eat. Let me help refresh you. And so I ask the question as a point of application. How willing are we to please the Lord? I've said this on numerous occasions and I'll probably continue to say it because I think it's a simple way of kind of understanding our walk with Christ. We've got two choices every moment of every day. We can choose either to please the Lord or we can choose to please ourselves. And I've often thought it would be an interesting kind of process for me personally if I kind of kept up with that, if I was honest with myself. <laughs> and I walked through the day and I gave a little mark every time I pleased myself and every time I pleased the Lord. I got a feeling at the end of the day I would please myself a lot more than I pleased the Lord. Why? It's human nature. See, if we're not careful, we walk through life failing to see the Lord, failing to understand His presence, failing to rush to Him, failing to have a willing heart, and failing to please Him on a regular basis. But I want to say something to you. I want want you to hear. If you find yourself struggling to please the Lord, I want you to listen. The more we understand the greatness of the Lord, his glory, his power, his holiness, his majesty, the more we understand his greatness, the more we desire to serve and please him. The reason you don't have a desire to serve the Lord is you probably don't really understand his greatness. The reason you don't rush to serve him is you don't understand his majesty. The reason you're not giving him everything is because you don't understand who he really is. The closer we draw to the Lord, the more we desire to please and serve him. Abraham rushes to serve. Abraham has a willing heart. And then here's the third thing he does. Abraham gave the Lord his best. Look at verse 6. So he hurried to the tent quick, he said. Get three seas. That's around 30 liters, by the way. That's a lot of flour. This is for three people. Not just any flour, but the finest flour. See that? And make some bread. Verse 7. Then he ran to the herd and he slated a choice, tender calf. Not just any calf, the best. Then he prepared it, then he brought some curds and milk, not just water, but nice things to eat and to drink. Abraham was very interested in giving the Lord his best, not his leftovers, not what was easy, but he gave his best. This challenges me personally because we're real good as believers in this culture to give the Lord something and feel good about it, knowing all the time it's not really our best. We give our best oftentimes to our job. We give our best to our family. And we should give those things priority. We should work hard in those things. But when those things cause us to set aside the things of the Lord, we're missing the truth of Scripture. God says, I want you to serve me and trust me and have a willing heart. And I want you to give me your best. If you're taking notes, you ought ought to write this down in your notes and kind of ponder this over the next few days. Am I giving the Lord my best? Now the conversation continues. Look in verse 9. So these three men make a very interesting comment. Where is your wife Sarah, they ask. Now they already know this. This is the Lord and two of his angels. It's clear they already know this, but it's kind of a reminder, and I don't want to get into the parallels, but it's a reminder of the conversation the Lord has in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve after they've sinned. He already knows. He simply wants them to acknowledge. So where's your wife Sarah, they asked. Well, they're in the tent, he said. This is Abraham responding, verse 10. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now just... Remember what we've already said about where we've been and what the Lord has already promised. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Now I know none of you have ever eavesdropped on your spouse. I know you've never done that. But pretend if you could, just for a second, that you're listening to the conversation. Verse 11. Abraham and Sarah were already very old. Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So, here's the response. Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, Am I worn out? And my Lord is old and now I will have this pleasure. Now I want to make a point to you, point number two. And I want you to give me a few minutes to kind of explain it. Here's truth number two. Abraham's lack of faith affected his wife. Abraham's lack of faith affected his wife. Now, man, I want you to stay with me for just a few minutes. I hope you don't tune me out after I said that because I think this is something you need to hear. It's something I need to hear. Abraham and Sarah are both very old. We already established a few minutes ago in Scripture that Abraham is 99 years old. The Bible tells us in verse 11 that Sarah is well past the age of childbearing. By human standards, it's impossible for her to have a child. And so when the Lord says, look, I'm going to come back in a year and your wife is going to have a son, the Bible says that Sarah hears this and she laughs to herself. Now we ask ourselves the question, why would Sarah laugh? Now there are probably a a lot of reasons that she laughed and we can kind of think through some of those reasons, but I think at the core of the reason that she laughed is because she didn't think it was true. (laughs) Are you serious? I mean, (laughs) no way. I mean, he's 99. I'm well past having a child. There's no possible way I can have a child here. Now, I just want to remind you, we've now been through many years with Abraham and Sarah. Many years ago the Lord promised and yet he hasn't given and he hasn't given and he promised again and he hasn't given. And we, we see this process where Abraham has walked away from the Lord and then he's come back. And he's walked away from the Lord and he's come back. And I believe, as I've studied through this, that Sarah's actions reflect Abraham's leadership in the family. I think because Abraham failed to believe, his wife failed to believe. Now, man, I want to say something to you that's biblically true and it may hurt you to hear, but you need to hear it. I need to hear it. We are called to be the spiritual leaders in our home. It is our responsibility to set the tone. The way in which we choose to follow the Lord and trust Him oftentimes will be the way that our family chooses to live and follow the Lord. And so the question we ask is, are we leading our wives to trust the Lord more? Are we leading our families to trust the Lord more? Ephesians chapter 5. You don't have to go there, but I want you to listen. It's such a clear picture of the marriage. Here's the command to husbands. Men, you want to know what your role and responsibility is within the, the family? Students, if you're not married yet, you need to understand this. The sooner you get this, the better your marriage is going to be. Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, the willingness to serve and to give. Verse 26. Here's your calling, men, to make her holy. Husband, did you know your responsibility in the marriage is to make your wife holy? Holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and then to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. I believe that Sarah's lack of faith was a direct result of Abraham's lack of faith. I think if Abraham had demonstrated trust in the Lord, I think Sarah would have as well. See, I just envision the conversations they had over the years. And I see the life that Abraham lived and how he'd kind of ebb and flow. And I just imagine them having these conversations, something like this. I know the Lord promised to do this. I know he's shown himself faithful so far, but I just don't believe he's going to give us a son. I just don't believe it's true. I just don't know how it's possible. By human standards, there's no way this can happen. I just can imagine that as Abraham failed in his trust of the Lord, as his faith kind of separated from the Lord and it diminished, I believe Sarah's did as well. One writer said it like this, Abraham was the head of the home and was responsible for the spiritual instruction in the home. Sarah's response of disbelief had mirrored Abraham's. Sarah saw unbelief in Abraham and she responded in kind. Husbands, are you modeling a life of faith to your wife? Fathers, are you modeling faith for your family? I mean, it's our responsibility to lead our families in the way of the Lord. Now that can look different for every family, but we set the tone and the way we respond to the Lord and our faith in him and our trust in him will be directly reflected in the way our wives and our children trust the Lord. So if you're married or contemplating marriage or you've been in a marriage for a long time, I want you to understand your role, man. I want you to understand your calling is to lead your wife to be holy, To walk her in her faith, to deepen her walk with Christ so you can present her to him as a radiant church, holy, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. Abraham failed in the way that he led his family. Now verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, right? Now he already knew the answer. The Bible says she had laughed to herself, but we see the power of the Lord again here. Why did Sarah laugh and say, well, I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Verse 15, Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. It's kind of, yes, I did. No, I didn't. Yes, I did. No, I didn't. Yes, I did. No, I didn't. Truth number three. God wants to display his glory by doing impossible things. God wants to display his glory by doing impossible things. If you're taking notes in your Bible, you ought to underline verse 14 because it's a question we ought to contemplate and consider on a regular basis. The response to Sarah's lack of faith is a very interesting question. Verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? The biblical answer is absolutely not. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, O Lord, it is you that have made the heavens and the earth by your great power, by your outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. Now I want you to think about this just for a moment if you would. If Sarah had had a son years before, it would not have been a miracle. You understand that? If the Lord had given Sarah a child when she was 30 or 35 or younger, nobody would have thought anything about it. But the fact that she was well beyond her years, that that Abraham was well beyond the years of having children, showed and demonstrated the power of the Lord. And this is an interesting point to me, because we see over and over again that the Lord has promised this. There's no doubt scripturally that the Lord has really said since the beginning of Genesis 12 I'm going to do this for you Abraham. I'm going to give you a child. I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. There's there's absolutely no doubt that it's going to happen but the interesting thing to me is all the times he has to remind them. He has to come back time and time again. Remember Abraham? I'm going to do this for you. Remember what I promised you? Remember the previous four times when I told you I'm going to tell you again. And I asked myself the question, why would he have to continue to remind Abraham and Sarah over and over and over again of his promises? The answer is very simple and it applies to us today. Because we're human and we forget, don't we? As good as the Lord is, sometimes we need to be reminded and so we talk about the importance of studying His Word. We, we talk about the importance of prayer. And it's interesting to me because we would never say this, but some of us would think something like this. Adam, I, I want to grow in my walk with Christ. What do I need to do? My answer, you need to pray more. You need to spend more time in the Word. And we would never say this, but our response sometimes is something like this. Well, I know that. I mean, I, I, mean, I know I'm supposed to read the Bible and pray, but w- what else am I supposed to do? As if there's some magic formula that I can kind of concoct and give you to drink. Or there's some 12-step program you can walk through and you not really read your Bible and not really pray. But if you do these 10 things, your faith will really grow. I I I would say to you in Scripture and the truth of God's Word that you're not going to grow if you're not in your Word and praying. Why? Because you need to be reminded of the truth. You need to be reminded on a regular basis of the power of the Lord of his ability to save, of his ability to heal, of his calling to repentance, of of how sin destroys. You need to be reminded of these things on a regular basis. And you're only going to do that if you spend time praying and studying God's Word. Hudson Taylor was a famous missionary to China. In fact, he spent 51 years there. I told last week about how times have changed and how things have sped up. And I made the comment that that 200 years ago it would have taken you three or four months to get to Europe by boat. It would have taken a lot longer than that to get to China. And once you arrived you would have been completely cut off from people back home. So 51 years in China telling people about Christ. Many things have been written about Hudson Taylor. But those that traveled with him gave an account. I want to read it to you. It was not easy for Mr. Taylor in his challenged life to make time for prayer and Bible study, but he knew that it was vital. Well do the writers remember traveling with him month after month in northern China by cart, by wheelbarrow, by, this is, by the way, this is the middle to late 1800s, right? No cars. With the poorest of inns at night, often with one large room to share, and after sleep... At last, had brought a measure of quiet, they would hear a match and see the flicker of candlelight, which told them Mr. Taylor, however weary, was poring over the little Bible always at hand. From two to four in the morning was the time he usually gave to prayer. The time when he could be most sure of being undisturbed to wait upon God. That flicker of candlelight has meant more to them than all they have read or heard on secret prayer. It meant reality, not preaching, but practice. Isn't it interesting that the people that are most used by the Lord are the ones that spend the most time with him? I think there's a direct correlation there. You know, the Bible can tell us truth. It can give us these accounts and these stories. But maybe the thing we ought to take from it more than anything else, at least in this context and in this particular account, is that the Lord can do anything He wants. Nothing is impossible. This is the creator of the universe. This is the God that spoke the world into existence, that spoke life into existence, that designed this planet for life. He knows the end from the beginning. The Bible is filled with examples of His power, demonstrating His glory of miracles, of accomplishing great things. He's created the universe and sustains it within His hands, and then we have the audacity to believe He can't work and save our marriage. We have the audacity to believe he can't heal. Or that he can't fix that life. Or he can't work in the hearts of our children. You know Christ can do all things. And that includes working in your life. And in your heart. The Lord wants to do miraculous things through you. He wants to display his glory in your life. All we've got to do is trust. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we serve you and we thank you for who you are and for what you've done and for what you've given us. Father, the account of Abraham is compelling and it's challenging and it's convicting to know your truth, Father, to see the call in our lives, to see that you demand obedience, you demand action. Lord, it's interesting to see how he leads and how we should lead. And then we're reminded, Lord, help remind us on a regular basis, you can do all things. Nothing is impossible for you. So, Father, I pray you would speak to us. I pray you would use us. I pray you would just challenge us to be more in tune with your will, with your word. And then, Father, I pray you would display your glory for all the world to see. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunity, as we always do, to come pray at the altar. Maybe you you need to pray about how you respond to the presence of the Lord. Maybe you're not giving Him your best. Maybe you're not rushing to serve Him. Maybe you don't have a willing heart. Maybe you're not leading your family the way you ought to lead. Maybe you don't believe He can accomplish all things. This is your time to respond. You come as we sing together.